I'm Nikia Cheney. And I'm Cassidy Parong. And I'm Raina Shalise. And you're listening to Amplify, where we provide space to amplify the voices of students who have not been historically heard at Cabrillo. That would include Black, Chicano, Chicana, Latino, Latina, Indigenous, Asian, and any other group of students who feel marginalized on our campus. This podcast series was made possible by support from the Faculty Grants for Student Success, FGSS, and the Associated Students of Cabrillo College Grants, ASCC. If you want to join in this conversation or support our programs, please reach out. We'd love to hear your voice. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Amplify. This is Nikia Cheney, and today we are meeting with Bob Morgan to talk more about Cabrillo's gallery um, exhibit uh, and some interesting things that he has researched for my class. Is my son is mm-hmm. okay. Your son. Thank uh-huh. you. My, my son is making a smoothie over here. I don't know if you can hear the blender or not, but I hope not. Nope, we can't hear the blender yeah. at all. But yeah, no, I, I thought that was so important because like in our class, when you look in the Black is Beautiful module, um, I was just like, wow, look at all these images. Look at all these beautiful things that you guys are finding and posting. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that evaluator who asked you the question about the art and literature synthesis, you know, um, it was a great question. And I know you really filled her in on that the, um, you know, the correspondence between um, Black art writing and literature and history and the expression of the art. And, yeah. and we certainly, you know, started that really from the get go and, and really, um, took off during the Harlem Renaissance, mm-hmm. you know, and, and some of the images in the Bearing Witness um, show, you know, reflect right you know, immediately to the Harlem Renaissance. I'm thinking of Augusta Savage for one, but, you know, uh, the, the art that was produced during that time went hand in hand with what was being written, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the best examples of that is a link you provided us uh, for some of the artists. Um, and I happened to, to get on to Aaron Douglas's um, work, yeah. who illustrated, yeah, who illustrated a playwright I'd never heard of. And I, at first, I had never heard of Aaron Douglas. Mm-hmm. I had never heard of James Weldon, um, the poet and writer, and, and then learned that, that Douglas, you know, illustrated God's trombones. Um, and that art is just, which was a Weldon, um, you know, takeoff on, you know, the uh, scriptures of, of, of <laughs> black, you know, uh, what was it? What's the word I'm looking for in the churches, the black preacher, the preachers, the, 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 the deliveries in, in the sermons. And then he put that into poetry, you know, coordinated with that, with that whole delivery. And then Aaron Douglas illustrated it. I mean, when we talk about synthesis. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes that connection between the art and music too is yes. in as well. I know we're talking about um, bearing witness. We're talking about the gallery at Cabrillo. You know, I know yes. that we're, we're talking about uh, looking at all of these pictures and looking at all of these things there. But 
when you look at like photographs and you really look at the men and women who lived back in those times, you get a glimpse into this world and the writing, the poetry, the, the art, the music were all coming out of this sort of explosion of culture, right? The one thing that I love about the 1900s um, and then like right, you know, right when we talk about reconstruction, right? Right after slavery ended and then we go into the 1900s and then we go into the Harlem Renaissance is that there was this kind of shift in thinking. And for African-Americans, there was this wanting of culture and this sort of, wait a minute here, we can do all of these things. And that's why that Paris Exposition, if you yes. read about um, W.E.B. Du Bois' uh, yes. Paris Exposition in the 1900s, when he went to France and he brought up all of these, fo these photographs, right? You know, yes. um, of African-Americans in industry and at work and going to college, there was this idea that, you know, black people are doing something important in the country. And I, I think about that and I think like, if we link it to George Floyd and the protests that happened last summer, we can see that this kind of push for recognition and push for acknowledgement has been going on throughout, you know what I mean? Throughout the, the, I throughout the country. I, I absolutely do. And, and I've come to think that as I have been more exposed and have learned more and have discovered and just explored more, um, I'm coming to the realization that, you know, the, the phrase is always used that black history is American history. Yes. Um, and it is something that, you know, in white society, we have relegated as a sort of second class citizen. But I've come to the conclusion, or I'm, I'm beginning to think that we are so intricately tied together that black history um, is pivotal in America's history. Mm -hmm. um, and when you think about, you know, the, the cooperation in the arts and you brought up, uh, you know, W.D. Du Bois' um, 1900 exhibition in Paris where he went specifically to show the world mm -hmm. um, that African-Americans just aren't slaves. And by I say just aren't, that, that's how they were depicted. And, and in the um, Bearing Witness um, uh, gallery show, Catherine Mayo gives her talk about control over representation mm. um, and who has that control over representation. And, you know, Blacks had been represented, you know, negatively and in a very limited way. So, um, um, you know, Du Bois in Paris said, wait, there's a plethora of different ways black live, Blacks live lives in, in a, uh, their lives. And I want to share that. And what I found really interesting in, in just looking through the Bearing Witness gallery um, show and what first struck me was one of the, one of the initial images of, of Mita Warwick Fuller. And she was a sculptor um, and she worked with Du Bois Mm -hmm. You know, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, you're, you're right on that. Yeah. It's in the front in the, in the, yes, in the very beginning of the exhibition. And I did a little look into her life. I had never heard of her. Um, and, you know, she was a forerunner. Um, there she is right there in the middle. And, and she's born in Philadelphia. 
And um, I know Philadelphia a bit. My wife's from there and she was schooled in, uh, in the Philadelphia um, Fine Arts Academy, but you know, ran into a lot of prejudice, a lot of discrimination, a lot of obstacles, but was persistent. She was born, you know, in 18, uh, 1877 mm-hmm. and, uh, and then went to, to Paris uh, where she tried to flee the discrimination, found it there too, mm-hmm. um, but did study a bit under Rodin. And when in Paris, Du Bois had her work with him wow. on the 1900 exhibition. Yes. Wow. And, now, we're, uh, we're, we're looking at, and you know, for those who are listening, we're looking at the photograph of Meta Wark Fuller. Um, yes. This is in the Cabrillo um, uh, Bearing Witness um, photo archive. And Bob Morgan did some research on some of this stuff. He's a student of mine and he did some research on it. And keep going though. Tell, tell me some more. So he, she, I didn't know this. So she went. Oh, I, I mean, this is all exploratory for me. And, and one of the nice things and, and wonderful things about this exhibition and, mm-hmm. and that Catherine Mayo stresses too, is you can approach it as um, kind of a photography geek, you know, learn about the photographers and you can learn about the technology and all that's really important. You can look at the certain pictures and you can also approach it from um, the viewpoint of the subject. And, and that's what was attractive to me initially was here are pictures of women. She was labeled as a sculptor, but I'd never heard of. And um, I, you know, wasn't even at all uh, fluent or knowledgeable of any black women sculpture, sculptors, especially at the end of the 19th century. But as, as I said, she was born in Philadelphia and ended up going to Paris for a few years, studying in Rodin and worked with Du Bois on this 1900 exhibition. Um, and then she went back to Philadelphia, tried to work more. Um, she did. She got married in 1909 to a, a, a guy who um, didn't want her to continue, of course. This, was, this is a reoccurring thing, a theme yeah. <laughs> among, among, women, among women artists. You know, the men say, uh, we don't need you to work. Just kind of sit around and, and not do too much. So they had to fight so much. And she did as as well as another um, a sculptor I studied or researched a little bit, Augusta Savage, whom I hope we talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh, yeah. but Mita Fuller Warwick, you know, um, created some wonderful works. And um, uh, one uh, during the Harlem Renaissance era, she was kind of the, an older uh, artist during the Renaissance, born in 1877. Mm-hmm. So she was, you know, in her 40s um, and 50s as, as the Renaissance was going on, but she was respected. Mm-hmm. and um, did some wonderful work. And one of her best known works is called Ethiopia Awakening. Mm-hmm. And this was done in 1921. And it sort of ties together with this, this, this spirit of, um, of uh, oh, thank you for, for Googling this up because um, I have it on mine if you want to share a screen with me, but I do have, but uh, yeah, it's great. Um, <gasps> There she is. And, you know, she did this in 1921. That's the Marquette for it. So this is the model, but the one that was produced. Yeah, yeah there it is. Yeah, it's oh. so beautiful. And, oh. you know, what was so, you know, when you talk about the, the synthesis and the, the joining of, of the philosophy and the intellectual climate of the time, as well as the arts and the writing, here is um, a beautiful woman mm-hmm. um, emerging from a mummy. You know, which harkens back to the to the you know to the African origin of um, of, of of 
uh, their lives and then now their lives in America. And she is um, uh, delicate. Yeah. She's beautiful. Yeah. She is draped in a, in a lovely uh, scarf and mm -hmm. she's emerging um, from a Pan-African philosophy into America. She has um, her hand on her heart too. That's in the sculpture. She has one hand that's yeah. kind of like set to the side. And then she has the other hand over her heart, which I think is so, so interesting. And it almost is as if the wrappings down at her legs, they, they remind me of fins. I'm, I feel like I'm looking at a mermaid in some ways yeah. too, but it's a mummy. She's, she's emerging from this this mummy, that's the sculpture. How beautiful. It, yeah, I, I mean, we could look at it as emerging from a cocoon, mm -hmm. you know, but, but emerging. And her face is so delicately done and so sensitive and at peace. Wow. Um, it's, it's really a dignified sculpture too, isn't it? She's, uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's really beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And then the photo that we see in the the photo that we see in the gallery, um, Cabrillo's um, Bearing Witness Gallery, you know, um, is just sort of sitting in repose. Her back is straight. She has her hands in her lap and she's sort of staring off into the distance. But you get an idea of her clothes. She's in a wicker chair. You get an idea of who she is. Kind, of, It's just such a dignified, um, you know, like portrait of her as an artist. So yes. I really love that. I really love that. It, it, and that word, you know, just jumped into my mind when you said that dignified, yeah. um, you know, she is portrayed with dignity and intelligence. Um, yeah. This is a woman who is sure of herself. Mm -hmm. She's confident. Her head is held high. She's got great posture. Um, and, uh, you know, the artist was wanting to portray her this way. And that's, that's who she was. She struggled. She, she was a fighter. Um, and you can imagine in those, those times, um, again, the obstacles that she encountered when she went to Paris um, and she went there because she couldn't work in the States. Um, so she went to Paris and she went as a student to, to live in a student dorm um, for American students. And when she arrived at the dorm, uh, they were surprised because she was black. And they said, you can't live here. You can't live in this dorm. And she said, but wait a minute, I'm an American student. They said, oh, I'm sorry. You know, we're not allowing a black American student here. Wow. She did find, you know, a place to live. And she, she gained recognition and she was, uh, you know, she, as I said, she was a prodigy of, of Rodin. So he knew <laughs> that she was <laughs> the real thing. Um, and then Du Bois, and then that's where she met Du Bois, because he obviously had heard of her in Paris working um, and said, who is this young girl? She, what, what is she, 22 years old, 21, 23 years old. Mm -hmm. um, and who is this young girl who, who's got the wherewithal to come to Paris by herself? And, and now she's working under Rodin, and I want, I want to meet her and, and give her some stuff to do in my exhibition. Um, so that, to me, is phenomenal. And, um, and what strength of character and, and fortitude to do that then. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's such a, you know, that, and, and, you know, this is why I think something like this, having this archive of these different photos um, is so important because you, the, the, there's this history in these lives that we don't talk about, right? Mm -hmm. We don't talk about 
these women who who are in there um and these men who are in there and the different things that they're doing i mean it, it it's just it's incredible it's just well that's and that's what attracted me to it initially was um i got a little bit into the to the technology and the photographers and, and i hope we get to talk about james presley um Oh gosh, his last name is just a ball, James Presley Ball, a little bit. But okay. you scroll past it, um, and that's a very well known. That, yeah, that, this one here with it. Yeah, that's oh. such a that's such a horrific. Um, yeah, you know, there's when you talk about this is a picture we're looking at. Um, it's a, it's a it's Mexican a and Oliver, the escaped slave Gordon, um, known as Whipped Peter, and he's showing his scarred back. This is a very famous kind of portrait of of you know and you see it you, there's just no way around it you see the scar no. yeah it's 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 horrific and you can imagine that that wasn't uncommon mm -hmm. um the, the whipping of course and we read about that in, in 41 uh, b about the whipping that occurred um with the slave uh, and, and we know of that what is interesting to me if i can just mention another association is is with um tony morrison's book beloved yeah she talk, talks about her, um, her, her lover, um, I believe his name was Seth, and his, his, his choke cherry back. Yeah, Setha. Setha was uh, the main Setha. character. Yeah, and she, um, she. had a, a choke cherry tree. And, you know, the whole story is that um, she was whipped when she was pregnant. And mm -hmm. she was found, she ran away. Um, because she wanted to, she was still breastfeeding her, her baby, uh, and she wanted to get back to her baby, and she was found um, by a, a white woman who was kind of, uh, you know, there's no really easy way to say it, kind of a poor white woman um, mm -hmm. who actually nursed her kind of back to health, and when she looked at her back, she says, you got a tree, you have a choke tree, you have a choke cherry tree on your back, Right. You know, um, because of the scars, the way that it, the way that it looked. I mean, it's it's a really powerful the entire scene, you know, in the in the book is is is. Because, you know, it, it's just marginalization upon marginalization upon marginalization. You see the brutality of of these women's lives, of these these black, the black characters lives and. You know, it, it's it's just really I don't know. Like I said, it's just really powerful. But yeah, this is this is this is very very famous. And I, and I think when I look at these images, I think to myself like, how did they survive? Yeah. You know, I mean, this is this is scar tissue. Like, how did you how do you heal from you know the wounds of it, the physical wounds? But what about those psychological wounds? And that's Beloved, right? That's the whole book by Toni Morrison. It's those psychological wounds that the characters have to deal with after going through that particular, you know, um, situation of, of being slaves, of being, you know, not having their own lives in their hands, of anything happening to them at any time and it's it's a it's a hard book it's a beautiful book um but it's a powerful 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 indictment of uh, indictment of of slavery uh, yes. in america mm -hmm. yes and 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 thinking about 
you know, yeah. And then I'm glad you clarified that. I was, I got a little mixed up in, in thinking back to my reading of it, but you, you spoke about connecting and how, how, you know, how does one and how does a black, you know, deal with the past for that, for that matter, the recent past and what psychological scar scarring is done. And I, and I'm thinking about if we can get to, I want to show if you would maybe show another uh, work by Mita Warwick Fuller called talking skull. And, and one thing in, in researching some of these artists in the show was the, the real um, need to look to the past and to connect to the past. And, and you've pulled it up. Thank you. Um, you're really fluent using the <laughs> using screen share and everything. Um, so we're looking at Talking Skull by um, Meta Work Fuller. Again, we're yeah. going back to the artists we looked at before, but oh my goodness, look at this. Yeah. So you're seeing this sculpture and then there's a man and he's kind of bent over um, and his hands are on the ground and he's looking down. And, and is this a skull that he's looking down at um, that's kind of in into the ground and he's got his head kind of, you know, turned a little slightly to it. I mean, it's he's, he's, he, he's questioning, he's looking, what do I see here? And the skull is, is kind of embedded in the, in the ground, almost like a grave. Mm -hmm. um, he's looking, who was this? What passed, you know? And, and he's got a curious look on his face, this young man. Um, and, and who again is lithe and handsome and, and, you know, in his youth and looking at someone who, who is, has died and who knows how, and just, again, trying to get back to that past and understand the past um, and, and come to terms with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it feels that I hear you. I, I see the, you see the questioning in just that his head is like turned to the side a little bit. Like he's, he's trying to understand something but you know it's 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 absolutely it's a black man and and you get that history in it you get that feeling of like why you know what is this what's the purpose of this um it's it's a really really powerful piece and that's a good question what is the purpose mm -hmm. you know of of all of the yeah the purpose of the horror right the purpose of of what what the lived experience has been. And, and um, I think you might've mentioned it, but, but it is sort of, you know, the black, I guess, artistic and liter literature tradition to, to make meaning out of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, to really search it and, and kind of expose it and to make meaning, um, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and find meaning. Cause it's, it's not easy for sure. It's. Uh, yeah. Or to come to terms with it, you know, like, like, there's throughout what we've been reading in class and, you know, Bob Morgan is a student in my African-American literature class, but we're talking about art, you know, I mean, how can we, we're, well, this is literature, but we've got to talk about music. We've got to talk about art. We've got to talk about like, you know, the double consciousness. We've got to talk about like philosophy and, and some of these things, but throughout what we've been reading, you know, again and again, you'll see that grappling with, race 
and that grappling with how race is enacted in America. Um, yes. And it's a, it's a pushback and a resistance with it, but it's also a way to say, hey, I need to come to terms with who I am and what I am in society. Um, and that's that double consciousness that we talked about, right? That I am treated a certain way, yet I know within myself that I'm a full human being. Um, but I am always seen as a black person first. And I have, I have that second class citizenship, right? And I think this is the, those two worlds that I've been trying to get, to get you guys to understand in class that there really are two different sets of experiences in America that the black experience, you know, race is everything. And that the white experience, there is, you can live in, in, in white communities and white areas and not have to grapple with those things. And, and not understand and not, you know, and when we talk about representation, the black experience hasn't been represented widely yeah. in certain, you know, niches it is. And if you're, you know, if you're sensitive to it or you make an effort, but white um, society, you know, as a whole doesn't recognize, doesn't know it hasn't been exposed. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, the pictures you're showing now, what, what uh, Catherine Mayo would call we're looking again at the bearing witness, um, gallery show from uh, Cabrillo. These are what um, Catherine Mayo would call vernacular pictures. Mm. Um, and I had to look up vernacular pictures. <laughs> what are vernacular images anyway? I'd never heard that term. Mm-hmm. Um, yet you can see, and, and it's defined as just, um, you know, they're unprofessional, they're, they're snapshots, they're photo booth shots, they're pictures you take of your friends in the backyard. They're, um, you know, pictures taken on trips, um, we see some shots here of, uh, you know, they're, they're unstaged. And that was her love, the vernacular shots, because you really see a glimpse of another way to live. Yep. Yep. And before the, well, the six pictures I have, up, you know, one is an African-American gentleman with the kind of the flag behind his head. He has two flags behind his head. So he looks like he's a soldier or he's in the, um, I guess he's in the Navy or, or he has like a uniform on and he's just got a kind of like crooked smile. So you kind of see that this is his kind of yeah. his little snapshot and portrait. And then we see two African-American um, boys. Um, we're probably in the 1920s. This is mm-hmm. 1942 uh, photo of young friends um, in Beale street. In mm-hmm. uh, and That's kind of cool. Um, and they both have hats on. And they're just kind of leaning against the wall. So you can kind of see they're probably teenagers or something, (laughs) which Mm -hmm. is really cool. And then the next one is, it's an African-American girl, Daisy Studio, no title, 1944. And she's a Girl Scout. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's Bill Street as well. And she's got her Girl Scout uniform on and she's saluting. um, And she's got a big smile. uh, Catherine, you know, the the curator, if I can just interrupt, I'm sorry, Nikki, Nikki, Uh Reed. Um, she mentioned that picture you just described um, in particular during her, her talk, which I recommend. It's about 50 minutes. You know, the rest is Q&A. Some of the questions came from your classes that the students <laughs> posed. Um, <laughs> very good. Which was very cool. 
um, and <laughs> great questions, great responses. But here in this particular photo of this girl proud of herself doing the salute, it's an excellent salute. You know, it looks like it's a trained, you know, salute. Um, she has her, her forefinger and her thumb, you know, together and the three other fingers up, up at her forehead. But, you know, Catherine Mayo said that, could we imagine, this was this girl in the studio, Daisy's studio, by herself saying, this is who I am and I'm proud of it. And yet the minute she stepped out that door from the studio, um, she encountered a different world, a different world that didn't recognize her as who she wanted to be, mm -hmm. a white world, but didn't see this young Girl Scout with her, you know, so proper and, and in, in the prime of life. And Catherine, you know, was really empathetic and said, you know, that just must be devastating to, to have this behind the veil, you know, the double, the double veil. Here she is yep. in Daisy Studios, Black Run Studio, away from the white world, and then steps out the front door onto Beale Street. Yep. You know, well-known movie recently. Um, <laughs> and, and, and then she confronts the white world and has to take on a different posture, yes. right? And a different pose, looked at differently not recognized, maybe invisible. Invisible, um, marginalized, mistreated, looked down upon, you know, all of the different things that she would have had to deal with in 1944, um, yeah. you know, and, and you're absolutely right about that, right? Like, but this time we get to see a picture of her as she would have seen herself as, mm. a, as a proud, Girl Scout. And I think that that's, she's, she's put together too. I mean, her socks, her shoes, she is like put she's together. Not she's not playing. And so like, just, just for a little bit of house cleaning, um, my name is Nikia Cheney. Uh, and uh, we're talking on Amplify the podcast. I'm with a student, Bob Morgan. We are talking about bearing witness, um, a gallery of black photographs um, that was created at Cabrillo College. Um, I've assigned this to my students as extra credit. Um, they've gone to a, a talk by Catherine Mayo who talked about getting these photographs together. Um, and we're just discussing some of the research that, that they've found and they've done. Um, there was someone else that you wanted me to bring up. Well, there's, there's, there's two if we could, and I, I know we, we've I gone wanna, on a bit here. Yeah, but, but I wanna stop on this. Isn't this beautiful? Yeah, oh, now, I'm looking at the Addison Skurlock, six African American girls. Yeah. I actually had a student of mine who wrote a short story um, to it. She used it as kind of her little aphrastic, uh, you know, uh, visual art to write a short story. To How me. nice! I love that. Um, this was what year was this in? Oh gosh, it's just beautiful though. I don't it's know. She had. She must have the year, but um, you know, Mayo likes Skurlock Studio. Mm -hmm. These are six young preteen girls in beautiful little ballet costumes. Yes, it's gorgeous. It's just, and they've got their hair done up and they're in posing and, you know, it, it's just, it's just, and you know, this is an old photograph. It's just, it's one of my favorites. I just- Could be the forties. Could be the forties. Let's see, do they say now, where is the, is this it, Addison Skurlock? Yeah, yeah. Um, the Skurlock Studio. So, but we don't know the year, but even still, I mean, it's just, a, it's just a beautiful, beautiful photo. But that, that's, that yeah. studio was long, long lived too. 19, what was it? 1893 to 1990 or something. So. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And look at 19, 
1920. And so this one's a portrait of a young woman, a young black woman. She's got kind of the flapper, <laughs> kind of the outfit on in the 1920s. That was the style back then. Um, she's got her pearls on and she's sort of standing by a chair. Um, this is beautiful. This is be now you wanted me to look up. Um, who did you want me to look up? Well, I, I'd, I'd love to look at Augusta Savage um, and and a, another um, you know woman artist. Up uh, if you scroll up a little bit. Oh, and there's uh, Anna Julia Cooper. You've just passed. I just uh, fleetingly brushed on her a little bit. Uh, let's see where is she there? I think she's down in the. Is that her right there? I may be wrong. That may not be Anna Julia Cooper, but um, yeah. no. But Anna Julia Cooper is also shown in the in the show, and and I learned that you know a, a civil rights activist in the early 20th century, mm -hmm. and a well-known book, Soul mm -hmm. of the Black Woman, um, and got her PhD at the Sorbonne and at the age of 63. Wow. She was an edu educator and writer. Um, wow. She she's in the show too, pictured in a, in a. Um, kind of an academic, uh, we may, we may come on her photo there. There's Augusta Savage to the left there. This is a passport photo of Augusta. Hmm. You know, this is Beverly Page Yates, yeah. um, um, type, 1856 to 1858. So, and there's Augusta Savage, look at that. Well, actually go left a little bit and I'll show you. There's John, there's our old friend, yeah. John Brown looking Okay, so let's, uh, you almost go, um, is it no, um, can you go in a larger shot again? Yeah, she's to the left, or my left, you're right, maybe. She's got a passport photo? Uh, this one? Yes. Okay, so it's photographer unknown, passport photograph of sculptor Augusta Savage, stamped August 25th, 1931. And, and this was really her heyday, too. Um, and, you know, she was born a little later than um, Fuller Warwick or Warwick Fuller, Meta. But mm -hmm. um, again, came upon a lot of resistance. She was born in Florida. Her dad didn't want her to, to be an artist, but she was determined. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, we can imagine, you know, the discrimination and obstacles she faced in Florida. Mm -hmm. um, and eventually made it to New York during the Harlem Renaissance time and befriended um, all the people we read about, you know, knew them all. And her, um, I think the two pieces I've liked, and, and she lived a long life. She, she was 105 years old when she passed away in 1964 and lived a long, productive life. Towards the end of her life, less productive and, and ended up living, you know, not in poverty, but in not very good means with her daughter in New York. Um, but her two pieces that I'd love to just show, and, okay. and unfortunately, the folks on the podcast can't look, but Augusta Savage, one was called The Harp. And, and this one was done, it was commissioned um, by the New York Commission on, um, uh, for the 1939 World's Fair. Yep. yep. And I don't know if you've ever, it's the first time I had seen it. It's, it's stunning. Yeah, yes, I have. I have seen The Harp. Like I was trying to think, what did Augusta Savage do? But it's a sculpture. And it's, it's a young black boy in front. And then you kind of have all the kind of the tubes of the harp at the top. Um, it's African-American boys at kind of at the, at the, the top. And it's, it's just a fascinating sculpture of hers. It, it, it looks like a harp. She's fashioned it such that the singers 
are lined up as the strings of the harp, you know, sh you know, shorter and then longer when we get to the front of the harp and then that African-American boy with something in his hands. I can't um, quite, yeah, quite see it, what it was. Like um, a scroller. He has something in his hands. Lift every voice and sing. And that's a really famous um, kind of uh, uh, song, African-American song. Um, that's kind of been used as sort of a, you know, a joyous overture, lift every voice and sing. It's like a, um, the black national anthem it's been. Uh -huh. So this is, this is in relation to, to what, um, what she's done as well too. This is just beautiful. This is just gorgeous. It, it is. It's, it's really beautiful. And, and I, I kind of was Googling the image and you can get it on Etsy, you know, you can buy t-shirts with it and this and that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really gorgeous and and unfortunately her original sculpture sculpture that was produced for the 1939 World's Fair in New York was destroyed. It was it was 16 feet uh, tall, and um, she didn't have the money to cast it in bronze, um, so it was clay. And then after the exhibition, it was destroyed. Um, so I, I don't. These must have just been models that she made that they later cast in bronze that we're looking at now. Because the original, the original was the original was was destroyed. Yeah, as even, was much of her work was just was was unfound or destroyed or disappeared. Oh my goodness! But yeah. I, it's it's so nice, like I said, to get to get a chance to see her passport photo and see her kind of as herself. You know, to just sort of see who she was and to kind of get an idea of, I mean, a passport photo, like, you know, her moving from one place to the next. I don't know if there's something about that artifact that's just really she, she also traveled to France <laughs> and studied in France for a few years. Um, maybe that's, you know, where this comes from. But um, uh, she was very um, successful in the Harlem, uh, um, you know, in that region of New York and even ran an art center and um, met with, again, resistance and obstacles, but was, was successful um, for a, a few decades um, in the Harlem, uh, in Harlem. Um, one of her other pieces, and she's an older woman, um, is Realization. Have you ever seen that one? I don't know. I know I've seen the heart, but we will look. Realization is really, she's older and it's, it's touching. Um, you know, she was known as a very, you know, to, to do sculptures that are very emotive. And there it is. Ooh. Yeah. Oh my goodness. How beautiful. Now the picture that we're looking at now, this is, oh, just show me the picture. Is Augusta Savage. Um, she's actually standing next to her photo realization. I'm not I mean uh, her sculpture realization. And it's it's three, was it two figures or was it it's I think it's two figures. I can't quite yeah. understand what the what that that head which looks like it's levitating is in the back. Oh that might you be know. where the studio is where the photo was taken. Yeah probably you're right. But so two yeah. figures, yes. So two figures and it's like one man he's sitting on the ground and he's kind of curled under and he's sitting kind of next to a woman, a black woman sitting up kind of on a chair and she's looking off to the side. They're kind of looking off. I'm, oh, you know, it, it, it just brings to mind this emotional sense of like, and it's called realization that they're looking out and wreck and seeing their place in the world. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, 
it's quite powerful. It's it, it is powerful. And and um, and I'm thinking maybe just to 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 go off a little bit, you know, she's sitting on what looks to be some kind of a stone and and, you know, she's she's got something draped over her um, legs and her waist, but she's naked from the waist up. He's naked. Could that be a reference to the an auction block, do you think? Because she is, you know, they are both cowering. She, they look stunned to me. He's cowering and sort of fearful, and she's just looking down, dejected in a way. Yeah. And I, and I wonder if it's a, if it's a reference to that horrific time of of being sold, etc. Um, I can imagine. I can ask. I, I don't know. Imagine. But it's it's a powerful piece. It's a powerful work. Um, yeah. And. So, Bob, we are out of time because it's getting to be 11. I could talk about with this with you uh, all day long. Um, this yep. is what I'm so proud of the research that you've done on some of these photos and some of these artists. Um, and I love that you've engaged with uh, what Cabrillo is bringing about and what they're doing with bearing witness, because that's the whole idea of this, right? To bear witness, um, to um, look at what has gone before yes and i'm hoping uh, it's going to stay up on the website beverly rayner the director of of the gallery said it'll be up what i think to the end of the summer okay. and then it's going to be archived so it's going to be around to look at and and i i certainly recommend students just take a brief look or or a more in-depth look it's really a really wonderful exhibit it's beautiful. And like I said, we'll put some links um, to link to it so that you can definitely go through and look through these. And I've so enjoyed talking with you, Bob. Like, you know, one of the things is we are trying to amplify Black voices at Cabrillo. We're trying to bring about like scholarship and Black excellence and to talk about some of these things um, at a place it's desperately needed. And I am so glad that you've been willing to engage with this and do the work of it and do the research of it. Um, and talk about some of the things that you found. Um, it's, it's been wonderful. It's, it's a real opportunity to learn a lot about uh, <laughs> and wonderful yeah. art. You know, yeah. Bob, is, Bob is in my African-American uh, literature class as well. So, you know, great student, but it's, it's, it's just been really cool. Um, Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate the, the opportunity <laughs> to talk to you about this. It's great. Absolutely. So I'm going to stop recording. Uh, let's see. There we go. All right. Thank you for tuning in to Amplify, a podcast series for historically unheard Cabrillo students. You can join us by emailing Raina Chalice at R-A-C-H-E-L-I-S at cabrillo.edu or me, Nikia Cheney at N-I-C-H-A-N-E-Y at cabrillo.edu or even texting 951-254-3651 or visiting our website at podcastforcabrillo.wordpress.com. And amplify your own voice too.